We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal avoid heartbreaking last-minute defeat in the cup final by quitting after a half hour. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. You might want to. This could get ranty, uh, could get salty, could get ugly. And here to uh, be ugly with me, only in spirit, I assure you, is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. The, the, you hear that? That's the sound of gloves coming off. Oh, the gloves are coming <laughs> off. I cannot wait. Uh, I, Paul is not here. Look, we are all missing Paul. Paul is going through a period uh, that he claims is work-related, but I, I think it is related to the fact that even he cannot muster a silver lining to the cloud we are currently uh, standing under. Clive is here. Uh, he provides no silver linings. He's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Um, I'd say our post-Ostersoon's podcast was pretty doomy and gloomy and the thought struck me after we put it out there that we're gonna look like twats after arsenal turn up with a a thrilling performance at at wembley and and overturn mighty city but thankfully we don't have to feel like twats clive so we're off the hook there congratulations cool never never in doubt never Never, it was never in doubt now look i don't like to be wise after the fact in fact i don't like to be wise before the fact so (laughs) i i want to be clear about this tim i tweeted out that I thought it was a pretty good 11, that it was a big challenge Mm -hmm. for Callum Chambers, that Mustafi scares the shit out of me. But ultimately, I felt that going to a back three was the right move, that he had picked the group. You know, given that we have deficiencies in in the defense and he can only pick the guys he can pick, and other than Espino, who we knew he was going to pick. I mean, I wouldn't have, but we knew he was going Mm -hmm. to. 
I, I really didn't have much of an argument, at least with what he was trying to do with that formation. Now, obviously, mm. that's before I saw where Jack was playing and Ramsey were playing, things like that. But as far mm. as how he set the team up, I mean, was that the high point of the of the day? <laughs> yeah, probably, because I didn't think he'd do it. I, I thought he would do a back four, but kind of have Elneny as a kind of third centre-half um, in there. So I was a little bit surprised. But yeah, not unpleasantly. I was kind of hoping we'd go to a back three, just because... Um, you know, it's kind of in certainly for the centre backs, not so much for the rest of the team, but for the centre backs, it's kind of supposed to be a fairly safety first feature where you cover quite a lot of space. Um, obviously, it didn't quite turn out like that. And whether that's just because um, everything's on fire and everyone is useless, whether that's just because they haven't played the back three for a little while now and they, they just not couldn't feel their way around it, um, or whether there was something different going on, I don't quite know. Um, I of kind of between the the young centre halves between Chambers and Holding, I I still prefer Holding. Um, however, I I kind of get that um, you know he wanted someone on the right side, um, and principally Chambers plays on the right and Holding plays on the left in the back three. Um, but I, I still think you know Rob Holding's a right-footed player. I, I still might have gone for him, but to be honest, that's a a really minor quibble. I don't think that would have changed anything um, in particular that we saw in the game. So, yeah, I, I was all right with the starting lineup. I didn't have any um, immediate crisis with it. I, I thought that Elneny might get the nod over Jack because, you know, Jack had a fairly poor performance on Thursday. But that said, once he started him on Thursday, I had an inkling it might be because he was going to start him in this game that he wanted to, you know, he. Jack hadn't played for nearly two weeks and, you know, he's a rhythm player, a bit like Ramsey, unfortunately. Um, and it, it looked to me like he was trying to, that he knew he might get a slightly below par performance against Ostersons and he was prepared to use that game to work off some of the rust so that he'd be ready for Sunday. And, and actually, I think, you know, Jack started the game certainly uh, fairly well. You know, that, that opening chance came from a long ball to him. And I think, had we been able to get the ball forward a bit more, I, th I think there could have been um, some decent currency in that tactic, but obviously we just weren't able to do that. And uh, yeah, I, I think um, obviously because it's Arsenal, there were some tactical failings in the game, but um, yeah, I, I don't think the defeat was, put it this way, had we gone to a back four, I, I don't envisage anything would have been any better. I just think it's also broken and on fire at the moment yeah but I, I don't really think there's anything we can do even even Yang, you know look, looks like Yang and Mkhitaryan you know already beginning to look like they've caught Arsenalitis um after Mkhitaryan's frankly awful performance against Ostersons and Yang, you know you cut him some slack because he's quite new to the team but um, and he didn't get much service but I thought he did very little to kind of drop in and create an outlet he was he was always looking for the long ball over the top, uh, which I kind of get. It was okay. It was a bit of a it was a bit of a Theo performance, I think, yes. from from him. But um, may, maybe that that will come in time. You know, um, we needed him probably just to do a little bit more of what Lacazette does in terms of um, dropping back and providing a bit of an option. But yeah, maybe he he gets cut some slack. But you know, I've, in, to row back to the team selection, what were we going to do? Select Welbeck instead. You know, no. So, 
But th- this is what frustrates me. You, you, we touched on this in a previous pod, the layoff between Aubameyang's last game with us and this game, and there was a mm. lot of time in between. But, like, there was basically 15 days for the manager to just work on how to incorporate Aubameyang into the team for yep. this cup final. And he looked like an alien had been dropped into the team from out of the sky at kickoff. We looked no more prepared to use him or play to his strengths in the cup final than we did the day he arrived. And that, yeah, that's really um, concerning to me because, Tim, I really feel like whether it was Van Persie or Giroud or Shamak or Danny Welbeck or Lacazette or Aubameyang, we try to play our football our way with no acknowledgement that different players have different qualities. You know, the few times we kicked long to Aubameyang, it kind of put the shits yeah, up them, yeah. and Bravo almost handed yeah, us a goal. This is company in Otamendi. Surely we could have played to Aubameyang's strengths more, but there does not yeah. seem to be any acknowledgement that certain players have to be utilized in certain ways. I agree. Um, I, so I kind of get why the attack didn't work because, you know, Wilshire hasn't played on the left since I can't remember when. Ramsey and Ozil apparently, you know, weren't really training that much over the last week and a half. So maybe there's a bit of mitigation there. But I, I agree with you. I, I thought City's defence were there to be got at. And I, I, I felt exactly like you did, exactly the same as the Spurs game. I felt like there was space in behind and uh, we shouldn't have been shy about going a bit long. Um, and you're right, like there, there was, um, you know, there was that chance Bravo messed up. There was there was also a, a Xhaka. It wasn't quite a long ball, but Xhaka put one in behind um, that Aubameyang took down very well. But um, unbelievably, Vincent Company matched him for pace and kind of shrugged him off the ball. Um so, yeah, I, I felt like there was space in behind them. Um, I really did. But we just couldn't get the ball into those areas, which w- was largely, I think, because we were trying to work it through the midfield. When I, d- I don't think we really had to do that. I think we could have gone um, back to front, which is, you know, exactly how City got their first goal. Um, we by we the way, still so. don't have a, have a plan for attacking a press. And the only time no. we even remotely did was Spurs at home. And we haven't really gone back to that style since we did it. Ozil was completely marked out of the game, and as a result, there was no one to give service to Aubameyang. And Clive, I I, I think, I saw you having kittens on Twitter uh, in between having a litter of my own, Um, and you seem to be pretty annoyed that Wilshire seemed to be deployed further forward with Ramsey sitting back. Now that, I think that kind of took turns a little bit. I think that kind of changed around throughout the game, but Putting yeah. the, for, the formation itself aside, do you have some complaints with how the players were deployed once they were out there? Yeah, so I, I was sort of, minute one, the first thing you see is Jack High on the left, and I'm thinking, that doesn't look right. So here we have an opportunity to bring back Ramsey into the team. Ramsey's best attribute is freedom and running and moving and, and seeing things and smelling things and, and getting into areas. So straight away you have him sitting deep. So I feel he's restricted. Um, if he's restricted, then the City know what they've got to deal with. Jack is a small space player with good technical ability that can you can fix it, a problem solver. Ball comes in, horrible angle. What can I do? I can receive it, move it, pop it, get it back, make something look pretty. So um, And so you talk about Bamiang just then and... And I thought back to Aubameyang's sort of key periods where he's done very well. And what did he have sort of around him? So about two, three years ago, he had uh, had, uh, Royce and he had Mkhitaryan. What are they? They're both quite athletic, quite fast. They're quite dribbly. They're quite dynamic. 
They're dynamic connectors that draw tension and basically allow Bamyang into isolated situations. Right. So, and then he had his second period, and he had he had Christian Pulisic, and he had um, Dembele. What are they? Real dribblers, draw attention. Need two men to go to them, otherwise they're going to beat you. They can create, they can pass. They've got great assists. They've got speed. So, what do we give him? He comes to Arsenal. What do we put near him? We put Meza Ozil, who's who's a, a lovely player. He's a passer. So the other person has got to be very dynamic, very quick. So we give him Jack Wilshire, who really is a, he's a small space player. He's not going to make the back four step out to go and get him. He's not going to run beyond. He's not going to be that other pacey option. No, he wants so to play lack... tip-tap on the edge of his box with someone who's got his back to go and play wall passes with Giroud. He doesn't want to yeah. play in behind so, Aubameyang. So, so, yeah, so certain situations he's perfectly suited for. So, But this isn't one of them. He can't be that connector that devastating player, that explosive player that Royce was, that Dembele was, that says, okay, I've got to go and mark him. So what's happened to Aubameyang? He's got one in front, one behind. Somebody blocking the first ball, like Fatonga did versus Spurs, and somebody like Sanchez at Spurs running in behind, matching for speed. He's got no chance. There's nobody else to mark. There's nobody else that scares anybody. So we bought this lovely bauble on top of the on top of the Christmas tree, and we've gone, there you go, £60 million, you go and do it. And we haven't thought about how we're going to use him, how we're going to get to him, how we're going to create situations where he can be one-on-one with people, and then he will kill them. When he's one-on-one with people consistently in the game, four or five times, he will get in. I have no doubt about that. But to do that, you have to draw attention. So the fact we have invested £350,000 a week in Meza Ozil and we have another £50 million striker that's quite similar in Lacazette, how are we going to get him? How are we going to get him going? And to do that, we need a real devastating, dribbling, fast player that's really going to scare people. You think we should look at, alongside. at Alexis at United? He doesn't seem to be thriving there. Is that well, a guy we should target? You know what? You know what, Elliot? That is... That is exactly what should have happened. Is we should have signed Aubameyang in the summer. And, and yes, of course. And by the we way, Alexis loves playing exactly. balls in behind the back line. He's, you could argue the biggest problem with Alexis is he wants to do that too often. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, well, I, I cut you off. It's still your turn. Keep going. He? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. He, he, he draws attention, doesn't he, Alexis? When the ball comes to him, he draws two men. But he gets out of, the, he gets out of danger and he gives it to the other striker. Now, the fact he was giving it to Danny Welbeck for a couple of years is not, he's not the best, right? Or giving it to Giroud, who can't run, he's not the best. So the perfect partner for Alexis is, is, uh, <laughs> is uh, Aubameyang, but they didn't have any time together, right? So, which is part of the problem. So we don't know how to use him. So if I'm the manager and I've just spent this money without thinking, for me, we've got to go to a, a situation where we have two strikers. It has to be that way where they can develop a relationship. Or we need to buy a wide player with real speed and devastation in the summer. Simple. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean there's a lot of things that frustrate me here. And, and the funny thing is, when we bought Aubameyang, Clive, part of my thinking was, I can't say for sure that he'll be great against the small teams that, that crowd the box against us, but where he should make a difference and make us more competitive is against the bigger clubs that come at us a little more, that press us in midfield and play a higher line. The Spurs, the, the Manchester Cities, right? And we've played Spurs and Manchester City since he's been here, and he's really struggled for service. And I know he, he did have a chance uh, in the City game. I'll, I'll mention that. We'll mention that in a second. But it just seems that, again, it... it 
it's hard for me to look at the way Aubameyang has played in these last couple of games and see any development from Spurs to the cup final with 15 days in between. It's hard for me to spot any development in how we've tried to incorporate him and get our players to utilize his best qualities. And that's not to say that it was a mistake to buy him. It's just to say that I I wonder if Arson has looked at Aubameyang and looked at his team and said, here's what we're going to do to get this guy going. And it's unclear. Now, he did have a chance. I just want to get your feeling on the chance itself. Do you feel that he did anything wrong there, that it's just a, a good tackle from Walker? I actually think you could put a little of that on Ozil, who I think took a little bit extra time to decide between shooting and passing and didn't put enough on the the cross. And it may have been overturned by VAR anyway. Um, yeah. for being offside, but but any any fault to Aubameyang with those that sort of chance uh, and a half there? The, the first one was, yeah, Walker did well, got in front, and the second one, I just felt he just was a bit unfortunate. He tried. It's easy when you're sort of watching it again on, on TV, you think, well, why don't you just dink it? He's gone over his leg, right? You always, you always solve the problem when you look at it, but um, did he laugh a little, did he have enough conviction? I'm not so sure he did, actually. But um, he's at the desperate fan in me, knowing that that first goal was critical, probably. And we, we, we scored that first goal and the whole day might be different. Um, but I can't really blame him for that. He's he's still settling and we probably won't see the best of him until next year, I'm afraid. And I'm afraid we don't know how to we don't know how to use him yet. And um, we need to really think about that. And if that means we've got to make some big decisions, then we need to make them. Because the guy's 28, be 29 in the summer, I believe. Or end of year, coming which one? And basically, we can't wait two years for, to settle to settle him in. It's got to happen by the start of next season. There's got to be a clear formation, a clear way of playing, and there's got to be a whole move towards a playing identity that everyone recognises. And he's the main part of it at the top end. Until we do that, we're going to be arguing and debating about what we're what we're playing at. And at the moment. There's so many things that are not clear. As I'm sure we're going to get into it. But um, if I was the manager right now, I would. De- I, it's interesting. We went to three at the back when the when it was really pressured. When we knew we was under pressure, all this four three three and hybrid sweepers, it all went away. When it comes down to it, the, the, the formation that we trusted with this group of players was to three at the back formation. So if you've got a striker like him that's trying to settle, we've got another striker that's just been bought trying to settle. Surely we should just go to a three five two. And, and and get them both in and get them playing together and just ease the pressure on both of them by playing them together. I'd like to see that remainder of the season and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, you're smarter than I am, but fuck me, just kick the ball long. I mean, <laughs> just kick the fucking ball up the pitch to your fast striker to run it out of men yeah. and company for fuck's sake. Like, our midfield can't play through Ostersoons. It's not going to play through Manchester City. Get the ball to Ozil's feet. Let him kick it long. Just do something. But it, it, it didn't happen. It drives me bananas because, like, we bought this guy. He's got 11 games left of his season. And, by the way, every one of those 11 games is dead rubber because we are nailed on for sixth. And so, to your point, he'll be 29 going into next season with a manager in the final year of his contract and who knows what the fuck we'll be playing for and I just it, it's a, it hurts my heart to see a player that I love so much come to the club and immediately almost instantly be sucked into this void of of mediocrity where the players don't know how to how to get the best from each other and the one thing I always admired about Alexis and Ozil is this really nice understanding they had between each other on the pitch you know <clears throat> I, I said this on this podcast a lot the way great teams win is with a couple stars who understand each other and play to each other's strengths, and then a couple of role players who do the dirty work. And Alexis Nozel really did kind of know how to play to each other's strengths, and hopefully, hopefully, 
sooner rather than later, we'll figure out Aubameyang's. Tim, we have to talk midfield. We have to talk uh, mm. the manager and so many things. But I saved really the fun stuff for you, the, the enjoyable <laughs> topics. Let's talk about yeah. the first goal. Yeah. So, I mean, I want you <laughs> to pretend that you are Mustafi. And I want okay. you to explain to me what on earth you're thinking as you allow Aguero to get goal side of you for a goal kick. <clears throat> what is going on there? I mean, I think it's just... Um, so a lot of it is what we spoke about after the Spurs game, that when the ball goes dead, Arsenal go dead. They want that breather. They want that five seconds. And teams like Man City, Spurs, they don't give it to you. They stay alive. And um, so I think, obviously, because we're Arsenal fans and because Mustafi made such a bollocks of that situation, we focus on that. It, it's a fantastic piece of play by Bravo. Um, he saw that instantly. He saw that situation unfolding. And uh, so did I, actually, from where I was sat. I was sat in the upper tier and I was like slightly towards that goal that Aguero scores in. So... I'm kind of looking up and I'm looking across the Arsenal back line. And, you know, you know, I can't pretend that when I watch football matches that I'm always like rigorously studying tactical patterns and whatnot, particularly if I've had, you know, a few ales, which I had. But, you know, you know, sometimes you instinctively sense danger, even when you're not like really looking very closely. It's just something. Unless you're wrong. the center back playing for Arsenal. I mean, if you're well, a few whales in sitting in the stands, yes, but not if you're on the pitch playing center back. To be, to be fair, I think Mustafi did realize what was going on quite quickly. I, just, I think he panicked. I think that's what happened. Do you think he knows the offside rule? I mean, uh, to, to anyone yeah. listening, you can't be offside from a goal kick. So you, you think he knew yeah. that or you think he was trying to yeah, play offside? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, because um, I, I watched it back again. He doesn't stop at any point. He doesn't put his hand up. He doesn't do any of that. He he kind of tries to go for the ball, feels a little bump in the back, and tries to buy the foul. So you think he's complaining um, for the foul there, not offside? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely, definitely. And um, and he was, you know, gesticulating and pointing at the screens afterwards for the replay and everything. He, You know, he was saying there was a push. Do you think it was but, a foul? Yeah, I, no, no, I, you know, I think it would have been quite a, like, Aguero knew what he was doing, but actually, if you watch it, what he does is he just stands still and lets Mustafi trot backwards into him, which he does quite intentionally, but, um, well, let me, let me no ask you a question, rule. flip that around. Let's say Mustafi's standing where, you know, a defender should stand and it's Aguero in front of Mustafi and it's a long mm. ball. We see that all the time where the defender yeah, bodies yeah. up. I mean, that's called hold up play, right? The, the striker yeah. backs into the defender, the defender pushes up against him. So the only reason this looks different is because in this case, inexplicably, the striker's the one behind this, the defender. Yeah, like there's no rule saying Aguero has to move out the way. And right, he stays yeah. in the way quite intentionally to give him that little bump. But all the momentum's coming from Mustafi. It's just Aguero's clever enough to let him do it. And um, yeah, so I, from what I saw quite quickly, I immediately, I could see Bravo was taking the quick goal kick. And uh, my mate next to me went, He's going to put this over the top. And like we immediately sensed, and I, I think Mustafi did kind of see it. I think Chambers and Koscielny don't see it. They're not really concentrating. I think Mustafi does see it, but he panics um, madly, and he makes a decision to you know go and try and meet the ball, which, in fairness to him, that's kind of his job as the centre pin uh, in that back three. The whole point of the back three is that he comes out and engages opponents, and the other two sweep up behind him sure from, um, o from open play tim 
Sure. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. the basic starting position there has to be yeah. goal side of Aguero. And and by the of way, course. this is why I think it may this may have been part of a plan by City. If you look at the positions that uh, De Bruyne and uh, Sané are taking up at that moment, yeah, yeah. they're really they wide. This. And so yeah. th- they've got they've got Koscielny and Chambers pulled away from Mustafi to create that area. Yeah. I think even if Aguero hadn't been goal side, it may have been in their mind to kick long to that central space and Oh, back, back Aguero to, to beat Mustafi one-on-one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They did it against Spurs. Uh, you watched the game they played against Spurs yes. a couple of months mm-hmm. ago. They just did it all day long. They let they let Tottenham come up, push up on them, and then Edison just just went long, and it undid them time and time again. And I don't know, may, maybe we just didn't think that Bravo could kick quite like Edison can, but... Um, I it, think it's it laziness. Was, we assume they're going to play out from the back, Tim. That their their whole DNA is they play out from the yeah. back, and we probably assumed it. I think the center backs went to sleep because City play out from the back, and I yeah. think it can be as simple as that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and and actually they they don't always. They part of their success this season has been that they mix it up very very nicely, and uh, so so I think basically um, Mustafi is kind of asleep but is probably the first one to wake up and understand what's going on. And by the time the kicks come, it's just not, it's, you know, it's, it's just a bit too late. Aguero's already gone and he's playing catch-up um, right off the bat. And, you know, we've got Bellerin and Kolasinac are kind of back, but they're not picking up the wingers. So, and actually, if you if you look at the starting position, Koscielny is just completely spare because um, Kolasinac is back covering uh, one of the wide players, Chambers is picking up Sane, so you know maybe there's some mitigation for him. But um, yeah, basically, Mustafi sees the danger before the other two, but basically, you know, completely loses his head. And I think you know he panics again in this kind of wild desperation, thrashing about trying to get a foul because he knows what's about to go down. He's he's seen it from the second that Bravo's foot meets the ball. He knows he's in trouble and. Um, yeah, he he doesn't have a cool enough head to deal with that situation, which is um, which is really unfortunate because, as we've seen, Arsenal will put you in that situation as a centre half, and you've you know, you've either got to have the brain or the raw athleticism to deal with it, and I, I don't think he's quite got either. Yeah, um, and it's yeah, and then, and then it's kind of compelled. So you know, don't get me wrong, this goal is ninety percent on Mustafi. Um, probably a couple of percent each shared between Chambers, mainly Koscielny. I think Aspina compounds it by um, kind of coming out but not coming out to meet the ball. I mean, in my mind, in that situation, I'm no goalkeeper and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I think you either come out and try and close the space or even get the ball if you can, or you don't. Stay on your line. Like you, yeah, or, or, you know, a couple of yards off, like because obviously you've got to narrow the angle, angle, but... He he kind of does neither. He comes he basically comes out far enough to make the lob quite simple, but not far enough to you know, to put him off or to make any contact with the ball. So yeah, it it was just pretty poor all round. It's just symptomatic of Arsenal took a three second holiday when that ball went dead and the top teams don't do that. Well and it it's it, it sums up the game because I actually thought we had been pretty decent up to that point. But yep. we don't make good teams have to be great to beat us. And that's the mm. problem. Well, you know, we concede more goals from errors than any other team in the league. And if you want to translate that out of stats world and then just plain speak world, we make it easy for teams to beat us when they're not at our best because we make the mistakes that gift them the wins. And that's. Yeah, it's, yeah go ahead. Sorry. It, 
it goes back to what Clive said on the last pod, I think. It's this kind of vicious cycle where the manager doesn't give them any solutions. He says, go and work it out yourself, which stresses them. And the more stressed you are, the more likely you are to make mistakes. So you make mistakes, you get more stressed. And it's just this like massive, vicious cycle. And it's like a snake going around and eating its own tail. Like Wenger's not taking any pressure off them. He's putting pressure on them which stresses them out and makes them make mistakes, which stresses them out even more. It's, it's just a really, really bad, vicious cycle for us. And we didn't seem to know whether to stick or twist when, when they went up 1-0, and we kind of did nothing. I think we just sort of froze because we understood that if we went after them, they could really turn us over, but we knew we had to get a goal, so we, we, we weren't defensively organized enough. Halftime didn't really buy us a reprieve they they battered us in the second half and i i just think it was it was from the time they scored that goal it was a pretty pathetic insipid performance that i you know you hate to go to narrative they quit they didn't try but sometimes it's not that you quit it's that you don't have any ideas you're just out of ideas and that translates to walking around the pitch a bunch because you're just sick of being marked out of the game and being pressed every time you're on the ball and not having anyone to give it to and giving it away. I mean, when Mesut Ozil is completing 68% of the passes, you know it's going really poorly. So, Clive, on on the topic of Mustafi really quickly and just the defenders in general, it's a pretty bad moment, but I thought it was a 3 out of 10 performance even without that moment. And I think Mustafi is one of these players that gets the defense, and a lot of our defenders seem to get this, which is anyone would look bad at Arsenal. You know, he's not a bad player. He's bad because he's at Arsenal. I think Mustafi might be a bad player. Um, And the reason I say that is he goes to ground so easily. He switches off too many times. He has these kind of brain farts. You know, as as a center back, you can't throw up a 3 out of 10 performance every five or six games because that'll lose your team the game. And he, he has some brilliant performances in him because he's so aggressive. And when you get everything right when you're so aggressive, it's eye catching and it's winning. But he doesn't have the composure, the awareness quite clearly, the stay-on-your-feet yeah. tackling skills, I think, to be a top-level top level defender. In your mind right now, how, how bad is it for us at center back? I mean, between holding Chambers, Mustafi, Murtisacker, and Koscielny, one's retired, one's on the back of his career, but is decent. The other three, I don't know, are even usable. Where do we stand at center back right now? Okay, I'll do a quick pricey of all of them, right? I mean, so, I know um, we just did this, but what the fuck? It's no, again, I'll just so. do it really quickly, really quickly. So Chambers, we, we I, I feel he's, um, he hasn't physically trained on since he was, since he was younger. He's one of those guys that was was quite physically mature, very, very tall for his age when he was younger, very slim, very, very leggy. That's turned different. We all develop as we get older. Trust me, there's no six not pack in the areas you want moment. necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> There's no six pack I can see looking down, right? So basically, we all develop, and um, and he does not look at the level to win jewels. Simple as that. He gets he gets too tight. The simple things you put, what you do is you put your arm in someone's back, you you, you and then you let go, you let them feel you, then you don't let them know where you are, and then when they turn, they don't know where you are. He gets too tight. He's easily rolled. He did exactly the same thing in this game that he did in the Austin game. I mean. Thank you very much. You trusted me, and I've just done done the same thing in the final. He's just not at the level. Holding, I I have a bit more hope for that, as Tim has alluded to. I think he's got a bit of character. He lacks some of the physical speed, but what he does do to counteract that is he's far more robust in duels. He says, "Okay, over my shoulder, I don't fancy it, but if it's in front of me, I'm taking the lot out." 
So I quite like that he's tried to solve problems. So I don't give up on him. Because we all know about him, he's Achilles. He's a once-a-week player at best. And so we need somebody else to lead the defence. Mertesacker's retired. Mustafi, I think he has. he's one of those players that I honestly feel has had some spectacularly good games. But he's somebody that I think almost represents the modern Arsene Wenger player that basically I can get away with being rubbish because I know I'm going to play next week. But every now and again, I have a great game, especially if I start well. And I think he's a player that we shouldn't have bought. I think he's five foot ten and a half. He was never going to solve all of our problems. He's at best a back three player in the middle. That's where you can most use him. But he needs two better defenders with him. He only works, as far as I'm concerned, with Monreal and Koscielny. That's the best we have to offer. And we've got two guys in their early 30s and one five foot ten defender that can be outrun. So we've got a problem there. And it goes back to what Wenger has lost, actually. So even looking back to some of the... Very good sides we can all name. Just you know, think about the top end, you know, Van Persie, Kleb, Riziki, all those nice players. And you go back even further. And and with with the Pires Henri Burkamp. Pires Henri Burkamp Lundberg, they they were unbelievable go forward players. But I can remember in two thousand three we lost the league stupidly, I can remember saying to myself, That Pires does not work hard enough coming backwards. He is too fancy down, he tries too many tricks, we're passing penalties to each other. What are we all about? I used to moan about that back then. What <laughs> well, Benger, you had no true. idea what was Come coming. <laughs> I never knew. But I just I'll be I'm being honest with you. But what Benger did at the time we said, you know what? I'm not so great with, with structure. I'm not so great with defenders. What I'll do is I'll buy the best one-on-one defenders I can. And I, all my defenders will win duels. They'll be sharp. They'll be quick. They'll be fast. And so we, the invincible back four, Ashley Cole, you couldn't turn him. And he was so progressive. Lauren, why would you tackle him unless you want your neck broke? right? So, so look, Carlo Torre, never outrun him. Can't out-jump him. May not be cultural on the ball, but he's a dual master. The same for Sol Campbell. And you go back to all of our best defenders. They may not have had the protection, but when they were one-on-one, there was just no worry. What we're seeing right now is if we're one-on-one on the halfway line from a goal kick, we're not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> and so you, you've, betrayed, you've betrayed what you've always done. So I don't mind if you want to have loads of number 10s in your team. But make sure you have a couple of monsters at the back that are going to win their tackles. Don't put slow defenders, old defenders, small defenders back there that don't win their duels, that make everyone feel uncertain. They're not that special on the ball, so we're not getting creativity. Don't tell me we're building from the back because we can't do it. When we're pressed, we give it away. We spend too much time passing square and laterally, which means we get picked off like did at Manchester United at home. We've got no clue. Players want to play nice little strokey passes and drop off into their hole and get it back again, back to the keeper and jog forward and then try to win the next tackle. What a load of rubbish. They're not taking responsibilities. They don't run with people. They can't run with people. They don't scare anybody. There's no fear factor to them. And people try to tell me that they're good players. Well, they're not. They're not good players. The best raw defender we had, I know people are going to say he's rash. We just sold for 10 million quid to Valencia. Now, yes, he was rash. There might be reasons behind it. But he is a defender. Right? So we haven't got anybody like that. So now we judge it. We do it. We're judging defenders of whether they can pass through the lines. 
What a load of rubbish. They need to do their job primarily, which is defend or bring a level of fear factor with them to say, I've got a job on here to get past him. You know, and, and Aguero just, just ran through us. I mean, it's just, it's embarrassing. So, yes, we may have slow, not so good running backward midfielders, but make sure you put, give them something to work from, a platform. Don't give them the people what we give them. So, Wenger's betrayed his own philosophies because my favourite teams he gave to us. And he taught me a lot about football and how a team should be structured. And now he's gone away from that and he's left us playing football without a safety net. I yeah. heard we say that before, and that's what, and that is where we are. It is football without a safety net. I, I, when you watch it, you're just absolutely petrified. And I'm telling you, Elliot, it's even worse live. We can see the whole pitch. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, because you can see all the space about. that these guys have to patrol. Yeah. You yeah. can see it, and you just don't feel comfortable. You start to look at the one-on-ones. You think. I tell you what, if they play it in there, we're in trouble. If they play it in there, we're in trouble. Timmy, you know I'm talking the truth here. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah. when you're watching it, especially when you're up a tier, I know where you sit in the ground and I watch you watch the game. I'm thinking, I know he's shitting himself right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the, the truth, isn't it? You can look around the, the pitch times, and you don't feel comfortable. Yeah, the amount of times I've uttered the words, thank fuck he made that, you know, for like a last ditch interception or tackle. And usually it's like on the edge of the box we're attacking. <laughs> You know, we'll have a corner, a free kick or something, and I'll be looking and I'll be like, well, yeah, we've left someone one, like we've literally left one person back and they've got one person forward and the ball breaks. And the amount of times you say, oh, th- like, thank fuck he, like, he either overhit that pass or, you know, we got a block in or, you know, it's it's all so last ditch. And I, I think you're right. We, we get away with a lot more than people realise, I think. Yeah. And, um, well, yeah. well, I, I think I think at the end of the day, you, when you look at why so many of our defenders look bad, is because they're put into crisis situations, and you're only going to succeed in crisis defending so often, no matter how good you are. Otamendi and uh, company aren't going to strike fear into the hearts of the the best attacking sides in the world. They were hardly challenged on the day. I don't know that that is a a, a fearsome defensive duo. I mean, on his day, company obviously was. One, well, I was going to say one of the best, but uh, he was he was very high level center back. But they don't put them in that situation. He had, they have his, a clear he had plan. his murder sacker game. You know, he had his murder sacker game. You know what I mean? Like murder sacker had, had the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had his murder sacker game. It was, it was his golden day. He had his day. It was his day. You could see it. He's had forty one injuries over the last few years. You know what? I almost think he deserved that day. He's put so much into that club. I'll tell you a little story, right? I was at a, a restaurant on Christmas before last. I think we played Man City over Christmas. And I was in the restaurant and company came in. And, and basically, he walked in and he spoke to the maitre d'. And then he, the whole City team came in behind him. And I looked at this guy and I thought, my God, you are the complete leader of that club. Every single player was deferent to him. The whole squad was there, and I looked at him. I thought, you know, you are a special human being. You're a leader. You're an adult. Harkens back to the days of William Gallus at Arsenal. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I just looked at him. I thought, (laughs) wow. You know, I know people talk about leadership and characters, and we all sort of talk about that intangible. But it really does matter. And when you see a, a somebody that really has got the absolute respect of everybody in the dressing room. It is priceless, right? And I, I look around our dressing room and I don't see that person. Well, I'm sorry. Look, I, I know this is kind of narrative street, but at the end of the day, th- this is the problem. Arson says he likes 11 leaders on the pitch, but we don't have any. And 
Mesut Ozil's making three hundred and fifty grand a week and completing seventy five percent of his passes and getting outpassed by David Ospina and disappearing in a big game again. The players have to look up and see someone they can give the ball to who inspires some confidence, and that just doesn't happen right now. I think Tim that we are tempted to focus on the defense because it is such a calamity right now. I mean, obviously Callum Chambers gets rolled badly for the third. Everyone goes to sleep on a Mm. training ground piece for their second, but it is the midfield where things are going wrong. And I think going wrong badly. And part of the reason I I think the midfield is even a bigger problem is I think that's where the games are won and lost. I think it's why we can be pressed out of games so dramatically. But if you look at this game, David Ospina completed, or I should say played 39 passes. Granite Shaka 42, Aaron Ramsey 32, Mesut Ozil, 38. Uh-huh. Jack Wilshire, 36. Ospina outpassed all of them except Shaka by three. The midfield has technical players in it. Wilshire, Shaka, Ramsey, Ozil. None of them are necessarily athletes, but they are all technical. Between them, they averaged about 68% completion and hardly got into the game. Why do you think they struggled so much to, to have any impact on this game? Uh, I think it's because the tech... You know, I've, I've said this a lot this season. I actually think the technical level is really low um, in this team. I, I don't see an awful lot of fantastic passing. Um, don't see a lot of that kind of one-touch bump the ball off. Um, I, you know, full disclosure, right now while we're recording this, uh, I'm watching with the sound off. Uh, I'm watching Napoli play at the moment. And I, I've got no love for Serie A whatsoever. I never watch it. It's just something I can watch with the sound off while I pretend to listen to you guys. Um, but and like I'm, you, I'm watching, you pretend to listen I'm, to us. I I, I thought it was pretty clear. I don't even pretend. <laughs> it's fine. What what was that? Sorry. Yeah. No. Uh, and like I'm literally I'm watching at the moment Napoli put together like one touch, bang, 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 bumping the ball off, players moving everywhere. You know the kind of stuff we used to play. Um, and you know it, it's I just I haven't seen that for an awful long time, and that's why I think and have thought for a while that what you're going to get from this Arsenal team is, you know, when the sun shines and everything's all right, like against Everton, you know, I think I said this on the Everton podcast that um, I just had this kind of, this concern that Everton was just one of those games where the sun shone, where, you know, Everton's midfield didn't make it a contest. We kind of walked through them. And if you let us do that, we can be one of the best teams in the country. But, you know, when we're squeezed a bit in midfield, when our space is a bit squeezed, we just don't have the technical level to kind of play those one and two touch passes. And I mean, that's that's one of the reasons he didn't start on Sunday, but it's one of the reasons Iwobi keeps playing, despite the fact he's been in quite patchy form, because he can carry the ball, which is the second best thing. The best thing you can do if you're under a bit of pressure in midfield is just bump off one touch passes and break a press. Um, but we're not capable of doing that. So we have to have Iwobi because he's a bit of a ball carrier which is kind of the next best thing um, if you can't pass around uh, opponents that are putting you under pressure and we, ju- we just don't have that particularly since Kazola went and even even um, you know when Kazola was there I think a lot of us had the suspicion that this you know I, I remember um, I think it was James uh, on the Ask Cast Extra uh, kind of ca- calling him a cheap player uh, Kazola you know the kind of guy who made our midfield look a bit more functional than it actually was. Um, we kind of held it together with, with sticky back plastic. And um, yeah, ever since we lost Kazola, like the technical level is just not high enough. They're just, 
even under, even like later in the game when City were kind of sitting off and it was all over, Arsenal were str- still struggling to string passes together under not that much pressure. And um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's as simple as that. The technical level is very low. Jack can't do what he used to do um, in terms of kind of his uh, his ability to dominate space. He's fine when he gets the ball at his feet, but other than that, he, he kind of struggles. Ramsey is a, an off-the-ball player um, more than anything. Xhaka... Well, yeah, Xhaka has the some... job, right? Xhaka has the job yeah. to be the fulcrum for the midfield, and he cannot do it. He, he's just not a consistent yeah. enough passer. He's too slow if he gets it on yeah. his wrong foot, and he gives it away too much. Exactly, yeah. He's, he's not... He's not necessarily a bad player. He's just not the player we need him to be. Um, certainly not defensively as well. And you're right. He, you know, give give him like five ten seconds on the ball, and yeah, you've got a really good really good passer there. But any less than that, and no, again, he can't do that quick one touch layoff kind of stuff. That you know, players even like not amazing players, but players like Arteta and Rosicky, who are very good players. Um, you know, they could do that. They could do the one-touch bump, you know, round the corner, trick opponents into trouble. And, and this Arsenal midfield creatively just doesn't have any guile. And that's why we're struggling against, you know, you look at City, like you said, weren't great in the first half. We kind of had them at arm's length-ish. Um, but then in the second, it was exactly like the Spurs game. The second they brought the intensity up, we just couldn't cope with it, and it's because we can't pass the ball well enough. You know, I know I always go back to that um, that Bergkamp anecdote about him saying in training, you know, when we're on the training ground, I want you to drill the ball at me. I want you to hit it hard because that's how the passing works best. If everyone hits it nice and hard and crisp, and he yeah, said, it's my don't job you worry. to receive it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And he said, don't you worry. If I can't control it, I will work on it. I will work on that. You keep drilling the ball at me, and you know, it will be my failure if I don't control it. And and that's that's kind of, that's what top technical players do. And we just, we just don't have any of those in midfield. We don't have any of them in reserve. We don't have any of them in the starting 11. It's just, um, it's it's one of the weakest, it's the worst, it's the weakest midfield I've seen since the end of the Graham era. Wow. And even at the end of the, even at the end of the Graham era, we had Stefan Schwartz, who was also a bit of a cheap player like Cazorla in that, he was holding everything together and he only stuck around for one year because he got sick of holding, you know, an average midfield together. And this is certainly the worst midfield under Wenger and, um, you know, a, a great many of our problems stem from there, definitely. I mean, putting putting to the side for a minute whether any of these players are good enough. I mean, I think we think Mesut Ozil is a pretty good player, but mm. clearly when he is so, so easy to mark out of the game and has so much trouble stamping his authority on a game, he has to take some blame. And I think the manager has yeah. to take some blame for not figuring out how to get the most of them. And I think to your point, Tim, we have players that want to play fun football. You know, we have these sort of mercurial turn it on when it suits them kind of players, whether that's a Mkhitaryan who I think we don't know enough about him yet, but probably fits into that mold mm. a little. And Mesut Ozil who likes to flit around the pitch and turn up here and there and everywhere. And when he's on it, you know, he uses space off the ball to find places to be and then he, he delivers a a tremendous ball into whoever's available making the run for him but I think if you mark him out of the game you need other players who can put their foot on the ball and we don't have that I mean you mentioned mm. Arteta and to me that is the biggest miss a guy who's capable of playing 100 passes in a game at 85 88 percent 
or 90%. Mm. Arteta routinely played 90 or 100 passes at 90% a game and just kept it ticking over and kept it moving and made it hard to just press us out. But they targeted Shaka. He gave the ball away a few times and created chances that thankfully came to nothing. Um, no one seemed to be able to find Ozil, and it was, a, it was a real problem. And Clive, I guess... If the midfield is this dysfunctional, it's no wonder that Aubameyang's standing there with his hands on the hip on his hips by the end of the game because there's no way. I mean, it's one thing. If you're not going to kick it long to him, then you have to progress it up the pitch. And this midfield completely failed to create any any forward momentum in, in the build-up play to get it into City's half. And I, can you guys even think of a situation or, or more than one or two where we had some players in their half with the ball at our feet and a chance to create an attacking move i mean there, there was really no, no, no coherent attacking play yeah we're, we're, i said it earlier we're, we're playing in the wrong areas right and your point earlier about kicking it long it's it's not so stupid if you see what i mean um what we need to thank do you is, move, <laughs> is to uh <laughs> we just need to move the emphasis of our game further forward I think we spend too long playing in the wrong areas. So we have this thing that we are still that old Arsenal team. We got to play through the thirds. Well, why? If we if we look at our squad, we just we just destroyed most of our centre halves, right? We know we've only got a couple of fullbacks, so we can't destroy them because we've got no one who can stand on the who wants to stand on the touch lines, right? We have a number of number eight, so we can pick you know any number eight stroke tens. We can we got four or five of those. We can pick any three. But we have got two very good foot forwards that are both struggling to settle in. And I think we just need to play two forwards and move the emphasis further forward in our gameplay and take us away from our weakness. Other teams do it. Liverpool do it. Spurs do it. Their back fours are not great, but the ball's never near them. They give it to you and then they keep you in your half. We've got to develop something. Just look at your squad and say, well, we're a bit weak. We're a bit weak at the back. I'm relying on a 32-year-old captain who can only play once every seven days. I've got full-backs playing at centre-back. I'm a bit weak. So I don't want to be playing there. I don't want my goalkeeper having more touches than anybody else. That means we're in the wrong areas. My centre midfield are not technically secure. So I don't want to be playing through them. The only one that really wants it to get it to move it and try to roll people around is Jack Wilshire. But he's too small. He's getting smashed. He's got no. He's got no one-two partner he can play with, and so he's having to take the ball a little bit further into contact now. So you notice what we were talking a few weeks ago that he we wasn't seeing him do the hero ball. He's now doing the hero ball and he's spending more time on the ground because no one's near him when he wants to play. And so we we have got a couple of new forwards. We need to get them on the pitch. And the emphasis of our game needs to be far more in the other people's half. But you know what? We're trying to solve a football issue. Right? That's what we do on the podcast. We analyze the game. Well, that's not we what I do. Solve. That's what you do. I make, <laughs> snarky, I make snarky comments and incoherent analysis. But you do you. <laughs> yeah, well, we're trying to analyze the game. So naturally, we've gone to the football team. How we look, how we move, who's doing well, what's happening, what's the pattern of play, what's happening, what's in front of our eyes. But really, I'm sure, Elliot, you're going to get onto the management and the culture that, of the club. That was next. Tick. And uh, when that moment comes, just give me a shout. Can do. All right. Well, well, you know, I had written down here right before we come to that is David Ospina, and in particular, David Ospina's distribution. I don't know if it's worth talking about because I don't think any of us think Ospina is good enough to be Arsenal's first choice keeper. I don't think he has a future at the club. I don't know that Czech would have made this a different day. For me, Ospina's distribution made life harder for us because 
every time he kicked it, the ball was coming back at us. Every time he threw it, the ball was coming back at us. And so I think that can be a problem because he had the ball so often and then he, he put us right back under pressure, which gets exhausting. So I do think he contributed, but I don't know that warrants a lot of analysis beyond that. I mean, Tim, would you say that's that's pretty much it? Yeah, yeah. And like you say, I mean, actually, Espina's distribution is not great, but Checks is certainly no better. So I agree. If, if anything, well, it might have been helpful, actually, because Czech lumps the ball out of play quite a lot. And, you know, maybe that would have been... Um, uh, preferable in the circumstances, but yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think I don't think anything changes with with checking goal. Okay, so let's come on to the manager, and he just looks <clears throat> so out of ideas and so out of solutions. And I, I look, I want to be clear about something: losing to this Manchester City is not a disgrace. Them not mm. having to get out of second gear and us not having any fight once we went a goal down—that's where the disgrace comes in. I mean, I don't think losing to that team is something that you have to hang your head over necessarily. I mean, you always should hang your head when mm. you lose, but you get my point, because they are potentially mm. a historically good uh, a Manchester City team. But it was the lack of response, and let's get a little bit into narrative here and a little bit into soft mm. factors. I mean, when we went down that goal, and especially in the second half, do you feel like the players just felt bereft of ideas and instruction and kind of it, it showed yeah. in, in the energy levels? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't believe, again, perhaps naively, I don't believe that they don't care. Um, if anything, I, I think they do care. And, you know, they're just, the, the life has been drained out of them like it's been drained out of the rest of us. I mean, you, you saw on TV what that Arsenal end looked like with 20 minutes to go. People were streaming out, absolutely streaming out. And, you know, if you'd have told me 10 years ago <clears throat> that I'd be at a final involving Arsenal and thousands would walk out with 20 minutes to go I you know I'd be disgusted I'd be like what is going like who you know who are these entitled folk and you know I'd probably fly into <laughs> a bit of a rage but I, I didn't blame you know I just didn't blame any of them and none of them were walking out flailing their arms there was no gnashing of teeth it wasn't petulant it was resignation it was total resignation I didn't hear any like you know shouting or anger around me it, it was just people just got up and quietly filed out because they've seen it before and they know you know they know what's coming they know what's happening you know if anything we should be very grateful that man city totally took their foot off the accelerator for the final 20 minutes because you know we could be talking about another six nil another five nil here and uh, i i don't believe it's because the players don't care um i, I just think they like the rest of us, um, you know. So to kind of tease the um, the, the the column I've written for this week uh, is I've actually I couldn't think of a better title than "Waiting for Godot. Um And you know you know that play right where two guys wait for yeah, a guy and he never Godot shows up, who, who <laughs> never shows up, and and that's what sorry 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 at the hang moment. on Sp- spoilers. <laughs> If you're planning on reading Waiting for Gatto, uh, don't listen to the last 10 seconds. Okay, go ahead. So, and, and that's what Arsenal Football Club is at the moment. We've done, we've done all this stuff. We've appointed all these people behind the scenes. We've bought players. You know, our, our squad's a little bit unbalanced, but it's got plenty of good players in it. We're still, you know, we are protected by wealth. So pretty much the worst we can do is sixth, you know, unless we do a proper like Chelsea under Mourinho and go 10th. Um, which, to be honest, there's not much difference between 
finishing sixth and tenth anyway. In fact, tenth gets you out of the Europa League, which probably makes it slightly more worthwhile. But you know, we are we're we're a club in a hugely desirable city. Even in this absolute shit stain of a season, we've managed to get a Bamiyang. We've got Özil on a new contract. You know, we we are we're we're a club with still great wealth, great potential. Everything's there except the manager. Everything else is there, and you know we're all we're all sitting there, kind of just waiting for this manager to leave, basically. And and you know because because we understand that the club has has a lot of potential, and that really it, we're we're now at the stage where basically you know we all used to worry some years ago about oh how how will like um how will the next manager cope with the the legacy and the shadow of Arsene Wenger. And, you know, worrying about this, like, Rebecca-style scenario where, you know, the second wife is never going to be as good as the first one and all of that. Now we've come to a stage where, like, he's stinking the place out so much that that almost, like, the new manager from the beginning can't really fail because everyone, players included, by the way, is going to welcome that manager in, you know, as a, an amazing breath of fresh air. And he will get, whoever he is and whenever it happens... He will get one hell of a welcome because the club will wake up again, and it doesn't really feel like it will take much. For, so it will take a lot, um, whoever the manager is, for Arsenal to win the Premier League because that's you know that's the it's the reality of the situation that we're in. Um, it's going to be very very difficult if Man City and Man United and Chelsea, you know, if they perform to half of their potential, you know, they're all going to be in the title race together because of the money they've got. But you know, we can look at what like Liverpool and Spurs are doing. You know, we can do that. We can be an active member of this top six rather than just, you know, one of the poor relations. We can play good, exciting football. We've got players to do it. And we probably need, you know, a couple of centre-backs, you know, a decent midfielder, a new goalkeeper. But none of it is beyond us. We've got the money and the resources and the, and the drawing power still to attract all of that. But... We're just waiting for the manager to go. Yeah. And, it, and it really is as simple as that. And that is why people, you know, last season, people were leaving grounds, you know, in fury because everyone sensed the manager was in his last uh, his last season. They knew the board wouldn't take the decision. So the fans thought, well, look, we've got to make this as uncomfortable as possible. And now that hasn't worked you know, people, it's, it's just apathy. It's just complete apathy. And, and that's uh, dangerous. That's dangerous for a club because apathy yeah. is how you can very, very, very quickly drop down the <clears throat> tiers in terms of how your your club yeah. is perceived, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's it's just like, you know, we, we've, we, we've kind of performed surgery on every area of the club um, except the most obvious <clears throat> effectively and every everyone can see it and i refuse to believe that arsene menger himself doesn't see it but he's you know he's doing what's best for him and not what's best for arsenal and you know it's just that horrible frustrating situation of a manager who who can't be enjoying this um but is just too afraid of what comes next and a totally disengaged owner who won't who won't push him so you know, it's it's just this really horrible, frustrating situation. Everyone sees it, and every everyone's just sick of it. And I think you know the fans have been sick of it for a little while, but I think the players are sick of it now too. And um, yeah, and so that's that's why you're seeing 
fans streaming out of cup finals on 70 minutes and mm-hmm. we were seeing players effectively throw the towel in on 70 minutes in cup finals because you know the the, the elephant is still very much in the room and uh, we need to get the elephant the fuck out of the room yeah i and and that's well said i you know i think and and obviously clive i'll give you a big swing at this but i i think a few things here first of all just taking away the the overarching issues that you've addressed and getting back to the specific game when we lost to spurs you think to yourself okay i've got 15 days to make this right and go win a cup against the best team in england between now and then, I've got two legs of a tie we should walk through with backup players. I don't need to spend a lot of time focusing on that. I'm going to take my first team, and we're going to train every day for the next 15 days on how to beat Manchester City. We're going to figure out how to get Aubameyang isolated on their inferior center backs. We're going to figure out how to find space for Mesut Ozil to get in there. We're going to get someone close to Aubameyang to play those dagger balls in behind the center backs. Whatever it is, we're going to play long to the wings. We're going to kick long to Aubameyang. We're going to sit in and counterattack, which, by the way, like... That feels like a pretty decent strategy we haven't tried in ages against good teams. But the thing that frustrates me is with 15 days to focus on this cup final, I didn't see anything that I can coherently point to as a plan. Now, of course it could be that City just neutralized it, but I don't believe that. I didn't I didn't see any tactical approach to this match where I said, I can see what we're trying to do there. I see where we're trying to get at them. I see how we're trying to get Aubameyang into that space between the center backs or we're trying to play it like we did against Spurs, play it to the wings and then get it into the channels. There, there was no coherent strategy. And with 15 days to come up with one, it's really depressing. And, you know, Aubameyang is, is a really talented player and I, I realize he sort of missed a chance in this game and you could say well he didn't do enough to stamp him, himself on the game but it just did not look like we had worked on how to get the most out of this player that we've bought and you could say that it's no different than Lacazette you could say that it's no different than Giroud you could say it's no different than any of these guys that it takes us way too long to figure out how to use players that Granite Xhaka was bought. He wasn't playing for ages. We finally kind of figured out a role for him and how to use him, and it worked for a little while. It was good enough to kind of get us through the FA Cup and obviously win, it, win a trophy, but then we lost sight of how to use him. We had Alexis at center forward for a bit and then back out wide, and there's been all of these strange decisions about how to use these players, about who plays where, about who's coming and who's going, about selling Gabrielle and sticking with holding in chambers, and it's muddled thinking. This is a long way of me saying that I think what I see with Arsene Wenger, and you've said this, Tim, better than I have many times, is a manager who is just flailing around for answers in the dark. It's, it, there is no clear, coherent strategy. The January transfer strategy was a 180-degree flip from the summer transfer strategy. I am sure that was driven by the new backroom staff saying we have to correct the mistakes that were made in the summer the thinking just looks muddled, and it looks muddled off the pitch and on the pitch. And Clive, you know, if if you're a, an employee at an organization where the CEO or the executives, you know, the bosses that you have above you are are making decisions back and forth and, and vacillating and taking a decision, then reversing that decision, and there's no clear thinking. I mean, the first thing you do is you start to look for another job because you know where that company's headed. But it makes it very hard to turn up for work every day and have any conviction about what you're doing how hard do you think it is for these players right now to go out on the pitch seeing what a mess 
this setup is and trying to just figure it out for themselves. I, and, and before you answer, I'll, do you guys remember? Yeah, I know. Before, do you remember when we switched to the back three? Was it against Pal? No, who was it against? It was against Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we played terribly, really. It was an insipid match. But we, we eked it out, remember? Mm. And the players went mental. They were like really fist pumping and excited about that win. And it looked like they wanted to prove a point that this new system could do it, that this tactical switch had given them something. And then for the rest of the season, we played the back three and there was, there was a little life back in our step. Do you think it's just that the players, Clive, are crying out for a clear, defined way of playing and the manager can't give it to them and they don't know how to respond when they're out there? It's a, a longest question in the history of mankind. But right, you know, you know go, what? Right? You're taking your turn every once in a while. I, I can point to some rants. I can point to some situations where I've, where I've just, maybe had another me. another safari window open in the background. <laughs> but, you know, fine. You do no, you. Fair, fair point. Fair point. Right. Let's go. Let's go back to the plan for the game. Right. So I believe you wanted to make it a a 20 minute game towards the end. You wanted to keep it nil nil. Hope we get the first goal and do a wigging on them. That's what I thought he wanted to do. Make it a 20-minute cup final. Man City, beat. we beat them last year by being equal with them late. And they didn't handle the pressure of that final late. It all went wrong when Mustafi gave them the, the first goal. Right, So the plan was blown out the window. To fall behind and then go the second goal behind. Game plan over. Players lost belief. As we spoke about last week, there is no plan B. There is no second plan. Once the first plan goes, belief goes with it. Right, so that's what that's what I think we was trying to play for, and then we talk about um, what's going on within the club. And I was thinking, you know, Tim done a great chat there on on the manager. I can't disagree with the word, but I started to think actually. I started thinking, okay, what if you got somebody else and just just imply them into this culture, and what would they do? What would they expect? Say we got Conte, would he come and be the same Conte at Chelsea? I don't think he would because the demands are not there at Arsenal. Arsenal's a place you come to relax. You don't get sacked. You get a four-year contract when you walk in immediately. right? So you don't get sacked. You get time. You, so the edge on winning isn't there. So for me, as we're looking for the final elephant to go out the room, it's very important that that person either is very self-motivated and can create his own high targets or... We don't just employ somebody, is that we take a look at ourselves, have an ambition reset and set higher goals and start to say, if you come to Arsenal, you have to win. It's as simple as that. Pep Guardiola spoke about it yesterday. He said the importance of this title was not the size of the title, but he's telling every coach and every player that at Manchester City, you have to win. I thought, that's exactly right. That's the culture they're creating. Chelsea have a similar culture. Manchester United have a similar culture. Tottenham and Liverpool are trying to build that culture. And what are we doing? We, are, we have a situation of not even stagnation anymore. We are regressing. So it's very important while we sit there and we have our fantasy manager thoughts in our heads as we're walking around, going to work, etc., is that we recognise that the strategy and the ambitions have to be reset from the top. It's not just about replacing people. So unless that person is strong, we're going we're gonna to struggle there. And, and to your point about the corporate environment, I, I've been a director in the investment bank. And the first thing you do is when, you, when the CEO comes in, he creates his own mission statement. He creates his own mission statement you know, for four or five program plan around operational efficiency, financial, financial cost management, whatever it may be. 
And basically, we all know that's his plan. We all have to fit into it. And he's setting the culture. He's telling you what's right, what's good, what's going to get you paid. Right? So, as for our players, what is the culture? We know people can steal big contracts. Everybody's on 60 grand a week minimum. The good ones are made to steal 350 grand a week. And I didn't see that play on the pitch yesterday. It's not the first time. And so, we have people having pensions. So, the culture is all about looking after each other. We've created this cash car in the Emirates and a, and a culture of financial, financial spend and inefficient spend. Everybody's getting paid, you know, and, and apart, but there's no desire or absolute necessity to win or compete. And so we can talk how about much that is arson, until, though. I, I mean, how much of it is that Stan fell in love with arson and because Gazidis wanted him gone and I'm sure, you know, Raul and Sven want to win. I mean, do you think that it's possible that that complacency will leave with this manager? Well, we hope so. We, we hope that the complacency leaves, but also like when you have somebody that's really impacting the culture more than they should, you hope that other voices start to be heard and we start to hear what they think about Arsenal Football Club, what they think our standards should be. So it, I'm hoping that we, with all these changes in the back room, we start to hear from them when a new manager comes in because they will feel as though they can speak because they will be aligned to that new person. You won't hear from them now because they may not feel aligned to somebody that's in departure lounge. So they don't want to align themselves to that person by being too vociferous. We're not hearing from Jens Lehmann. We're not hearing from Raul, who started on February the 1st. You haven't heard a word. We haven't had a single interview that I've seen, you know, direct comments. I've not heard the voice of Sven. I've not heard. So they're all quietly working away, these new people. But when a new major comes, I think we're going to hear from them. I think we'll see some depth in the club, some, some people depth. And that's what I'm looking for. So, yeah, I think culture is what we need to change. We And then add the people to that culture. And at the moment, the players are suffering for that culture. And I and, and I, inclu I include, I know we debate these players, but I, I include Mustafi and Shaka in that, in that way. We're not, they're not being used correctly. They have been good players in the past. If you look at their skill sets, they're not as bad as they're showing now, but they are a victim of the culture. And Tim called it Arsenalitis. Abamyang, what, where's he going? Lacazette, is he improving? Not really. They're a victim of the environment and the culture at the club, what's, what's allowed. And so I'm hoping those players, when I look at their raw attributes, they can come back under a new manager if he can deploy them appropriately. And they're not completely dead to us. So I think that's what we need to fix. It's mm -hmm. the culture of the club, top-down messages, well, a true mission, and then we go from there. And you know what, Clive? I totally agree. And it may mean huge turnover in the playing staff too because there may be too many players that are just – corrupted by, for lack of a better way to say it, or or tarnished by or inf infected by the culture that's in the club right now. And it may just take a total reboot. The manage A new manager comes in, and, you know, it's, yeah. it's really kind of hard. Look, I love Aubameyang. I wanted him at our club, and I'm so thrilled he's there. But we have taken a win-now approach to the summer and January, two different win-now approaches, with a manager that is not able to win now. And the only thing that scares me is the age profile of the playing staff is designed to be Arson's last hurrah. Except there's no hurrah in him. So where does that leave us? I mean, I, I 
it's really sad that we could watch Aubameyang play, you know, 11 meaningless games now in the Premier League in his 29-year-old season at Arsenal, again, with nothing to play for, with Arsene Wenger managing a zombie team into the final moments of his contract. And do you guys remember, he said last season, he acknowledged that the speculation over his contract was a distraction for the players. Mm. But he went again just after this game and said, he, who knows if this will be his final season. So... He's totally prepared to create that same uncertainty. I mean, that, it might mm. just be a little throwaway comment, but he's created that uncertainty. Uh, I want to finish with sort of a what now, but but really quickly, Tim. I mean, oh, and by the way, <laughs> you have to love Thierry Henry throwing his hat in the ring to manage Arsenal. <laughs> and you can see the gears turning because he's like, well, I don't know that I could do worse than sixth. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this might be the time to do it. I mean, you think about it. If you don't know if you have it in you to manage Arsenal, this summer would be the perfect time to take over because you're probably not going to sink any lower. But going forward now, Tim, we've got this Milan tie. And if it goes poorly, mm. the season is over in early March. Um, mm. How difficult is it going to be to generate any interest in these 11 remaining league games? And is it possible that the impetus for change, the catalyst for change, so to speak, uh, this summer could actually just be half-empty Emirates Stadiums game, games, you know, throughout March and April? I mean, maybe, but we've, we've had that before. We've seen that before. That's been going on for a few years. And uh, the, the kind of problem is those seats are paid for. Um, so, and I'm I'm not sure how much Kroenke even knows that, that, that or cares whether they're empty. I, I don't get the impression he really watches us play. So, you know, as long as people are paying for them, he probably doesn't know too much else, um, quite frankly. Um, so you, you think so, but I, I just think we've been here before, haven't we? Um, maybe, maybe and, but not, know, maybe not. Not you know, we've been here before, crashing out of this of the CL embarrassingly and finishing fourth. Not so much crashing out of the Europa League and finishing sixth. But yeah, I take your point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, because so what we've done is we've quite rapidly you know revised we don't have the fa cup final um this year you know to kind of bail us out we went out and you know that in the i mean basically last year we we were kind of going for fourth in the fa cup and this year we're kind of going for sixth in the carabao cup uh so so sorry we were in like in the champions league last 16 we were going for the fa cup and we were going for fourth and this year we're you know desperately trying to stay sixth i guess um, going for the Carabao Cup and you know and and in the Europa League and, and not so winning we, the Carabao Cup by the way. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, obviously, like everything's been downgraded one, and no one was even really that happy with last season either. So I, I'm not sure how much of a difference it will make. To be honest, I think you know, Arsenal's not silly. He knows. He acknowledged what happened last year, but I think what he's made crystal clear is, uh, like I've said, he's he's what takes priority for him now is what's good for him. And um, he he doesn't want to let this job go because he knows, well, he doesn't know what's coming next, but he knows it's not the Arsenal job. Isn't he? he knows it's not another job like that where he gets that kind of prestige and that kind of control. His stock is very low. You know, he's ageing now. There, there is just no way he's going to get another job like this. And that kind of means more to him now than um, than the actual health of the club. So... Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not sure how much I see changing. I, I think you know he'll, if if it's up to him, he'll just ride out next season um, as best as he can, and he'll try and get another contract extension. And <sighs> I wouldn't put it past Dan Kroenke to give it to him either. I 
I cannot imagine that the situation will be one where Arson even feels he can stay. But you may be right. His his fear of letting go may be stronger than his yeah. aversion to being ridiculed. Um, yeah, and that's probably a fairer way to put it than the way I put it. Well, yeah, I, well, that's rare. That's rarity. Um, <laughs> I, I, look, I'm struggling with this podcast. I'll level with you because I'm trying not to just be hysterical and, and say – uh, inflammatory shit because it's easy to do that in this situation but I also find it tedious I mean I love doing this podcast with you guys and sometimes it can be more interesting even after loss I'm not saying more enjoyable but prefer mm. women but I mean because there are things you can unpack I don't know that there's anything left to unpack you know game performances that are devoid of any real tactical news players that seem to lose their ability to react to bad situations a manager that doesn't have the answers deficiencies in quality and key positions. I mean, it's all stuff we've been over. Let me ask you this really quickly, though, Tim. Is there a part of you that is really a little bit concerned at how bad it can get given we do seem to have structured our transfer dealings and our squad building towards win a win-now philosophy and that soon-to-be 29-year-old Aubameyang and 29-year-old Mkhitaryan and, you know, the, the 350000 we've given to a guy who's, you know, maybe got two more years at the a week mm. I should say at two more years at the top that the age profile that we've committed to that where the squad is right now is could potentially leave us in an even scarier position when it becomes apparent that we can't win now with these players uh that that is a concern definitely i i do think the landscape of the premier league now is such that really arsenal can't do a lot worse than finish six i think it's so entrenched now and like I say, I, I I tend to think, and again, perhaps I'm being naive here, but I tend to think we're protected by wealth and status um, and that we're in this kind of, you know, mentioning no particular names, you know, those like billionaires that go bankrupt about six times and it doesn't actually affect them um, because they're protected by wealth and status and family and things like that. You know, in, in pure Premier League terms, that's what that's what we are. Um, you know, we've we've got the kind of, money rolling in and like I said for us to win the Premier League is would take a gargantuan effort but for us to like for us to sit like slip lower than we are now I think would take something really really special and I think we are resourced well enough to spend our way out of um you know like falling out of the top six for example just it's it's exactly what Liverpool have done it's exactly what United have done it's exactly it's exactly what we're doing now we've you know both Liverpool and United had a bit of a managed decline, and they've, you know, they've spent their way back in, and um, that's what that's what we're trying to do now. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. Like we have got a lot of players, you know, supposedly in their prime with a kind of win, you know, must win now kind of. But I also think that it won't be too much of a problem for us to replace them in a couple of years. Um, maybe a couple more years of six that might be, you know, a bit more difficult. But then Liverpool were. Uh, circling the u-bend a bit they were finishing seventh and sixth and seventh and not getting in the champions league and they were still able to buy good players for big money and uh i you know i i think perhaps well not perhaps it, it's kind of sad it protects arsenal and it works for us but it's kind of sad that you know in pure premier league terms failure can't, can't be punished. punished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I, I see yeah. what you mean. I mean, like, you look at Chelsea and they threw their toys completely out of the pram because they hated their manager, dropped to 10th and won the league the next yeah. year, you know? <laughs> and that's that's why I think there are a lot of parallels with the end of the Graham era. Even though, you know, under Graham we finished 10th and 12th, 
in in a couple of his last seasons. And I think that because of the way the league changed, what we're doing now is relatively similar. So if we were doing this in the early to mid-90s, that's about the area of the table we'd be in when things were a little bit more kind of equal results. Well, especially because look at the points gap between us in fifth and fourth too, right? I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not on an Island. Right. I mean, if the, if the table was a little more compressed, we might be 10th. It just so happens that we're 10 points off fourth and we're 10 points off seventh. We're, we're really in our own space. Um, And, you know, you mentioned Liverpool and I, I do have to say that like, they are kind of having the season that maybe we didn't, that we took a little bit for granted, but they're not going to win the title. They're not even going to challenge for the title. They're not going to win the Champions mm. League, although they're doing okay, and they're through, you know, past the round of 16 most likely. Um, not most likely, they are. Um, and But they are playing really attractive attacking football, and when they're on their game, they're really enjoyable to watch. And you know, they're going to drop some silly points, and it's going to be frustrating because they don't defend well. But, man, when they're on it, can they be fun to watch? And they have some electrifying attacking talent and they know how to get the most out of it and that was arsenal right that was our thing yeah exactly we were we were a plucky champions league team that could make a run um even without being the absolute best Mm. we we'd make some games easier for the opposition than we should and as a result we didn't challenge Mm. for titles maybe we should but we were a lot of fun to watch on our day and that that's okay being that team Mm. is tolerable those seasons were tolerable this is not this is not tolerable it's not fun. Yeah. It's not enjoyable. Clive, I'll, I'll finish with you here. Just uh, two things really quickly. First, the City game that's coming up. Has there ever been a quote-unquote big game at the Emirates that seems to matter less and will have less uh, fanfare surrounding it than the game on Thursday? I think the next three Thursdays are going to be critical, right? We've got the two Milans. Oh, I agree with the Milan ones. City. I was going to ask you about that. But, I mean, you really think so? Yeah. I mean, look. Yeah, I think it's very important. I think we have to show a reaction. Okay. There's... Um, there's a, you know, pitchforks are, are being readied, right? So um, I think we have to show a reaction. If we get beat 5 nil at home, uh, there won't be apathy walking out of the stadium. I'll All right, so that. I'm just going to write be, you down for 4 nil is okay. There we go. Four nil. Okay, yeah, got it. it. So it won't be, and Tim, you know what I mean, it won't be like that there. It will, it'll be nope. a night game. It will be, people will have a drink in them after work. Trust me, it will go, it will go. So, um, so that'll be really, really, really interesting on Thursday. And the Milan games, we have to get through. We have to have a moment. And basically, what we're walking through in summary, we are we are having the David Moyes season with the same manager. That's what he should have gone last year. We weren't ready for him to go, so he stayed on. Well, so we well are some having... of us were ready for him to go. <laughs> don't don't put well, me in that cluster. <laughs> <laughs> when I say we, I mean as a club, sorry, right. that we weren't structurally ready for him to go and the appointments that we've made make us more ready for him to go this summer. Right? We weren't ready for him to go. If he'd have left, what was the next person coming into? They'd have to have the David Moyes season and rebuild things. Van Gaal did level of rebuilding. He played the youth players. They had two to three years of this. We're having it with the same manager. And so I agree, you know, I've said this before, but I agree with what you said earlier. I think the moment this guy goes, it will just take off. And the new manager, if if he can get our players to pass each other just two times, we'll go over the top with praise for him. Just because he's different and new, whoever he is, I think we'll give him chances. I think we'll give him a break. I think we'll all buy into it because we're just ready for the changes that the club is now ready for. I think that's a really key point. I'm looking forward to the, the explosion. It has to be this summer. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh, see, I, Tim... Only- Tim statements just scared me to death. It has to be this summer. If it's not, I just don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be. It has to be. I, I, I honestly <laughs> believe. I honestly believe it will be. 
this is it. We are we are in departure land. We are moving towards it. I, I have always felt that the two year contract was never a real two year. It's always about one more year, and then to to set the club up for the future. I'm I'm hoping that our club is as wise as I've always hoped it is. Otherwise, yeah, well, <laughs> we're doomed. I, I, <laughs> I got to tell you, Clive. I I I disagree with you about this Thursday. For the record, I and I look. I'll be proven wrong as usual, but. I don't think it'll be full. I don't. I don't no. think. I think people are going to struggle it's, to care. It's not sold out. And, yeah. um, the other problem with it not being sold out means that people can't put their tickets on the ticket exchange. So even that kind of small crumb of comfort, which does fill some seats at the moment, isn't going to happen. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be huge apathy for that game because no one wants to go to the Emirates and have a bad night on a work week on a work night, right? And and watch us get beat and watch us get you know roll over and have our tummy tickled and. We just lost to this team in the game that did matter. No one thinks the Premier League matters for us anymore. I, I'll be very curious to see if anyone's there. Now, I will tell you this. I think the Milan tie is everything. Because if we crash out of the Europa League, it, man, it's going to be so, so bad. And the only, the only silver lining, if you even want to call it a silver lining, is I do think it would make his return untenable. Um, we should be able to beat that Milan side. But then I look at Lacazette maybe not being ready, and it's, it's Danny Welbeck up front. And it is incredible to me the amount of money we spend and how little real genuine attacking threat we produce. I mean, because the defense, it's a dumpster fire. It just is what it is, but the, the attack is really terrifyingly poor. So other than that, though, I feel, based on our conversation, things are, things are headed in the right direction, so that's good. Um, <laughs> Tim, I, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Thank you. Um, Clive, I, I appreciate you tolerating my long-winded questions. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks very much. Keep it short, son. Keep it short. Thank you very much. <laughs> My name is Elliot Smith. Uh, you, you should block me on Twitter just for this performance alone at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review, even though we maybe didn't earn it. Let's put it this way. Whatever you think of this performance, it's like tenfold what Arsenal produce uh, on, on a weekly basis. So there's that. And look, they're dragging us down. They're dragging us all down together. Uh, hopefully, Paul will be back after the Thursday game, and uh, we'll get Scott back in for a stats section. It would be great to see Aubameyang get off uh, – and, and have a big game in a big spot and give us something to be excited about. But until then, we're just going to go uh, crying to our beers. So we hope you do the same, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, City Nil. No.